the Wildlife Observer Network. I'm glad we could finally do this. Yeah, this is wonderful. So, Tony, um, what are we up to? We're recording the first episode of Brothers in Birding. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And uh, it is my understanding that this is part of a larger podcast network. Yes, this is part of the Wildlife Observation Sorry, the Wildlife Observer Network. <laughs> and so, yeah, so everybody's feed, if you've been following the Urban Wildlife Podcast, you'll be getting a lot of um, first episodes. Um, and I'll be in all of them, I think. Um, eventually, I'd like to be less <laughs> in everyone <laughs> and have yeah. other people be more. But I'm the kind of guy who got the idea to, to um, do this, to have, mm-hmm. um, have everybody together and... Um, so basically around a bunch of my friends with uh, big personalities and we're trying to expand the content. Urban Wildlife Podcast was great. We did it for about I don't know, four or five years and it, it will continue. Mm-hmm. But we figured it was – we started out something very narrow and there's a lot more wildlife content out there. And I mean I, I had friends of mine who told me that they would they would um, watch – they would listen to – sorry, rather um, – hunting podcasts. And they weren't hunters just because they were out in the field and they were they – were, you know um, – Talk about wildlife and hunters, you know, they, they a lot of people who aren't hunters and don't mm. like what hunters do may not understand this, but hunters generally genuinely do love wildlife, even the ones they are hunting. And so it got me thinking like, well, there, there needs to be more content about wildlife in general. Although this is a, you know, a birding con- podcast uh, specifically, but where there's a lot of, there need, there's a, I think there's a need for more wildlife content and I'm here to provide provide that and or to facilitate that so i'm going to start by providing it and then hopefully move to more facilitating it but <laughs> uh one of the um ideas is, is our podcast so i think you and i um we have a different perspective um than a lot of birders do although <laughs> i think people who are making birding podcasts tend to be i think their bed their bread is buttered on the unusual side anyway to have the idea to do a podcast you know mm-hmm. but i think uh, also we have our we have a pretty cool unique friendship yes and, we do and it's uh, quite the origin story quite the story yeah so i think that between the two of us um we could you know and we're not here just to be like we're a little bit different than the average birder we're gonna like talk about it like and only talk about that no i want to just talk about birding and subjects to come up in birding and um the hobby. Uh, we want to discuss new articles when they come out. Um, you know, controversies if there are new species <laughs> being discovered. You know, everything. Mm. You know, um, and just what we've been up to. So I think this is, uh, you know, this will serve as an intro uh, episode. But moving forward, you know, we would also like a, you know, a lot of interaction with the with our listeners or I guess viewers as well. Like if people want to yeah. say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And yeah. and like that that would be great. So. I think let's go forward with the in- intros. Let's talk about you and, and me and then and what you have in mind for this, and then we'll go yeah. from there. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. I'm, I'm really glad you laid it out that way too, Tony. Um, and I like that, um, and I think our viewers are also going to like the fact that birding is like that central theme to a lot of this because my story in birding started as kind of a tangent from what I thought I was doing 
but really that was kind of the the element that centralized me in conservation and, and caring about things in general. Um, and, and then with you and birding, that has a huge uh, central role in a lot of the big things that you've done and even some of the little things. And I think those are great stories that we can share. And um, on, on another point, like I think uh, in pop culture, birding has really opened into a new chapter, um, obviously with the aid of social media and how much that has propagated uh, social norms, but just people's attention to say like, you know, bird from bird photography to talking about the photographer and then talking about the weird life of similar photographers. And then you see this painting of a culture in media that I think is still very malleable um, and, and something that's really exciting. So I'm glad that we get to do this together and be a part of that. Absolutely. So shall we proceed with origin stories? Uh, you, you are my junior. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm a little younger. I know we that, got uh, aged beauty before <laughs> before old and and haggard. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I believe it was my senior year of high school in my environmental AP environmental science or studies. I think it was science. I think it was environmental science class. And um, Tony, uh, as well as Dan Cubza, well, he'll he'll make an appearance. He'll say hi. I'm sure. Um, came in and talked about this program that was happening at an environmental center in, in, in the general neighborhood. It was in West Philly, but we were in Southwest, but a lot of people lived um, in that area of West, Southwest Philly. And the, the gig is my brief understanding was, you know, you, um, you'll be a trained environmental educator. You'll be a trained park steward, a trained park guide um, where you'll learn about the, natural and uh you know philadelphia history at this park and i was like well you know i'm back in philly from from traveling across the u.s and i thought this was a really great opportunity for me to get to my, know my neighborhood and it would be my first job and i you know money is nice uh so i signed up for it and that's how we met and how has you birding how, how you now work in the industry Yes, I am now in the environmental advocacy industry at an organization that focuses on birds. Yeah, moving forward, uh, we're going to be vague about our jobs. Is because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we work both work in the field, and after my experience recently with a, a group of um, extremist animal right activists who have who um, like to subsidize outdoor cats. And they're melting about it. And just for expressing I, the, I think generally wildlife biology, wildlife, you know, conservation biology's best practices on, on how outdoor cats should be handled. Um, they, they actually went and tried to like get me fired from my job. Um, and so that's uh, from, so I'll just be vague. I, I run an environmental center and, you know, if you, if, I'm not going to say for what entity and <laughs> moving forward, you could do, you could probably find out if you want to, but I want to just want to make it abundantly clear that my views are not of the organization I work for, just like Taiki's are not for the organization he works for, but we both work in the field. So, yes, absolutely. I'm really glad you said that because, um, I think it's pretty easy to find out what I work for, uh, my social media, I'm easy to find. Um, and, you know, just to reiterate what Tony said, my opinions are my own, and I happily speak for myself. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, that will be some of the vagueness of the story where I won't, you know, where we won't say exact names of things. Um, but it still is very special when we're there, and I, you know, it's, it's nice to have a sense of nostalgia for me uh, with birding and being a first-time birder. Because I remember the first assignment you gave me, or gave like the cohort. I, so that too, I was one of maybe six or seven students that signed up as well, uh, like a part of this cohort, and um, it was like our first, you know, uh, assignment. It, you know, he gave us a bird. Uh, to like study, you know, get all the seven basics informations. The uh, what was it? The principles of identification of the bird, um, and these are birds that we could see around where uh, the park where we were. And I got kingfisher, and I remember I got that assignment that week. And then the next week I saw the bird, and I was like, oh, that's oh wow, I studied it. And now it's there. Okay, that's huh. <laughs> like it, it was like a really cool. You know, you don't get that, I don't think, in the classroom very often, but it's very rare that you can get that on, like, an outdoor classroom kind of thing. Well, it's funny because that's my spark bird as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I went to an environmental center in Philadelphia when I was in Boy Scouts, or sorry, Cub Scouts, rather, and my father took me there. I, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing. I'm from the city, but I'm from, like, I jokingly call myself and my how I grew up like row house rednecks where <laughs> we're, we're from. It's interesting. Like we're from the city, but we grew up hunting and fishing, camping a lot. And so it's weird how there's a lot of like, and, and I guess it just, it's a holdover for being working class. Like there's a lot of, out, you know, even though in Pennsylvania, it's a giant, well, it's not, it's funny. It's actually one of those technically in the smaller half of the States, but it's a, you know, it's, it's America. It's a big country. So it's still a big area. And mm-hmm. 60% of it's still in forest. And <laughs> he just took a snapshot. That's <laughs> really funny. So it's, I think it's part of growing up in Pennsylvania, part of growing up working class. Um, I would have said before, like, yeah, maybe it's like a white working class thing. Um, but, you know, Mustafa, um, remember him from, uh, he, he grew up bow hunting and whatnot too. And, he, you know, he, so like, it's, it's part of like it's interesting. A lot of people are like, oh, you're from the city. You how'd you get in nature? Or, or they won't assume I'm not from the city. They assume mm-hmm. that like I came mm-hmm. from the suburbs. But anyway, so my dad took me. So I went hunting, fishing, camping, and and uh, but and I loved it. Don't get me wrong. And I I was you know reading Ranger Rick or being have Ranger Rick read to me. But it wasn't until I went to the environmental center having Ranger Rick read to me. I yeah, just like that sentence. <laughs> and hearing about a kingfisher and it. The story, um, Pete, who still works there now, he's not my colleague. Uh, we're now parallel. We have the same rank. In, in, in our, <laughs> Represent. Yeah. <laughs> Started yeah, from the bottom. I know. It's funny. Um, and so we both run different facilities for the same overall uh, agency. So we, he told me a story about Kingfisher and how Native Americans apparently would tie them in their hair and it would make them um, – arrow proof i guess and and so i was like i really which i guess they would have got it from the from they make barrels right i guess they would have got them in the barrels because if you could mm-hmm. shoot one <laughs> if you got one by shooting it it seems ironic that it would therefore make you like arrow proof or like you could get shot but these birds fly really fast and so i, I can understand why the idea was that they, they were hard to catch yeah um, yeah so i guess they would get them at their nest barrel anyway so that they would tie them in their hair and they would make them 
Um, you know, they couldn't catch him. You couldn't be caught if you had one to hide in your hair. And so I assumed it was like, you know, I know <coughs> part of the country or part of the world where, you know, it was like an exotic thing. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, you can see them right here in the park. So I asked my dad and I was like, can we go see it? And the next week we went and we saw it. And that was my dad and I both spark bird because it was um, the first time I went birding. And the first time he went birding, he went on to be the friends of of that park. You know, Philly's blessed with a very large park system. Mm-hmm. And he and he was the uh, <coughs> president of that um, of that park. And and I was the uh, I went on to do my thing. So it was very influential. Can you tell me a little more about your spark bird? Yeah, well, it's our spark bird, right? And my dad's oh, yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's uh, uh, well, Belta Kingfisher um, is a. You know, a lot of people think it looks like a blue jay with a giant beak. So it has, you know, it's blue and like white underneath with has a, a band across the chest. That's why they call it belted. The females have a rusty band as well. Has a crest. It doesn't have a long tail like a blue jay, but it's like, you know, it's blue. It has a crest and, and kind of like a mohawk and yeah. it plunges, you know, head first into water for fish. And you can see them all throughout the North America. And into Central America, and uh, wait, are kingfishers kookaburras? So kookaburra is a species of kingfisher. Yes. Okay. Thanks. So, so in kingfishers live everywhere but Antarctica, essentially, and um, they get subarctic. They don't get, but they don't get too far into the Arctic uh, regions. But they they do get pretty far north. But they uh, they're mostly. Uh, in Asia and Africa, they're in they have an incredible diversity, and there's a lot that are uh, living like uplands. They don't actually live anywhere near water. And they eat insects and reptiles and amphibians. So, like a kookaburra is just a a kingfisher that that forages in like forests and like woodlands and doesn't um, do that plunging into water for fish. So it is a species of kingfisher, and there Thank are. And the, so there's a laughing kookaburra, which is in Australia, and I believe it gets a little bit in New Zealand. And then there's the blue wing kookaburra, and then there's the shovel bill kookaburra, and I think the hook bill kookaburra. Uh, there might be another one as well. You know, I can find out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure you have a few books back there that can uh, help help us figure that out. I wonder which one he's going to go for. It's probably going to be a book about birds. I guarantee it's a book about birds. So, um, I've been kind of on a time kick lately. You know, like Morris Day in the time. Okay. Have you seen Purple Rain, right? Yes, yes. Uh, the movie. Yeah, so the villain in Purple Rain is uh, Morris Day from Morris Day in the time. Oh, I'm going to take your word for it. I don't remember that specifically. It's been and a while. So their big hit is Jungle Love. You know that song? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yo, yo. Think I wanna know you, know you. You know that song? He's like, uh, I'm gonna put it on my Spotify about that. Yeah. So, uh, um, the time was a band that Prince, on the first, I think, the first one or two time records, Prince played every instrument, and Morris Day just sang, mm-hmm. and he's un- he's credited under a different name, uh, but and he actually Prince even owned the name of the time. Yeah, that's the that's their big hit, and. And the funny thing is, Morris Day, the drum, uh, the singer, 
he didn't want to sing. He was the he was the uh, um, he was the drummer. Uh, he was and he wanted to, he was Prince's drummer for his uh, Grand Central, the, his first band. And then mm-hmm. he he moved. And then when uh, Prince started the revolution, he came back and wanted to take uh, was it Jimmy Z or whatever the the drummer Prince's job and. He's like, nope, but basically, like, why don't we start a different band and, and you'll be in that one? And then they couldn't really figure out who the singer was. So Prince was like, why don't you sing? So he sang. Wow. So, uh, but anyway, that's all their big hit, Jungle Love. It starts out, and he goes, ooh, 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 ah, 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 which is the, uh, um, he's trying, he's basically doing the Kukubara sound. So, in oh. lots, uh, lots of, when lots of movies, whenever they show someone in a, a jungle, they always play a Kukubara. So, and, I but, thought that was a monkey this entire time. Wow, that's crazy. Well, okay, may, I mean maybe he's doing the monkey in Jungle Love, but it's not, I, I think it's. I oh, so you have a, this is a strong theory that it's Kukubora. Well, the the noise you hear mm-hmm. in um, I mean, why don't we just we can just play it? I was flooded. There's a Kukubora song, like an actual song about Kukubora. So, um, oh wow, yeah. So I gotta actually. Wow, this this Kukubora talking point really got interesting. <laughs> oh man, this, again, it's a song. Uh, so how do I search for just the, the call? Oh man, you know I think I <laughs> I know what I'm gonna do. Um, what are you gonna do? What's your plan? I'm gonna download my app from Australia back to my phone, and then um, and then we will um, um. Yeah, I'll download my app. So we'll have to talk a little bit. Let's keep t- mm-hmm. as I do this. Okay. Uh, uh, well, I wanted to ask you because uh, now, now I think that if if you didn't or if I didn't know this specifically from you, I don't think I would have known this at all. Um, but in general, with birds, male and female sexual dimorphism, you'll see that males will have like the extra thing, whether it's the vibrant color, the belt, the, 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 the scarlet thing, you know, like the male will have it and the female won't. Do you know why the female kingfisher has the belt and the male does not? I, I honestly do not know in this case. Wow. Uh, I never, the... I, I, I never knew that either. So yeah. So I don't know why that's the case for kookaburras. Um, for things like phalaropes, which are the strange shorebirds that that um, that swim rather than mm-hmm. just walk, walk, they actually swim and they swim in circles and, and they eat zooplankton. Um, mm-hmm. The males actually tend the young and not the females. So the 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 parrot that tends the young tends to be the duller colored because. They want to be camouflaged, camouflaged and, yeah. right? So that's why they they do that reverse dimorphism. Mm. But wow. I wonder if uh, kingfishers is yeah. I was I was asking it's I was not that same question. Like, do kingfishers are they the ones that care, or the males uh, the ones that care for the nest? No, they both do, if I'm not mistaken. And they uh, um, and I don't, and I don't think all of them are. I think most of them, um. Are not dimorphic, so I think belted kingfishers are unusual in that respect. So, what, what book are you looking in right now? Birds of New Guinea. Nice, because there's more. There's only two kookaburras in um, Australia. There's the laughing and the blue winged, and mm-hmm. the laughing is um, goes all the way down to like 
the south of Australia, and then it goes all the way far north. And then the the laughing's only in the uh, so the blue wings only in the in the far northeast. Mm. So, uh, but I think the I'm not sure if the laughing gets into um, into New Guinea or not. A lot of birds in Australia are actually um, are shared with New Guinea. So, no, it doesn't look like it is. It looks like blue wing does, which makes sense, but not uh, laughing. So there's. Um, Rufus-bellied kookaburra, shovel-billed kookaburra, um, blue-winged, uh, sprangled, and hook-billed. And most of them, and then there's, of course, laughing. So there's uh, things they call kookaburra. One, two, six. And hook-billed kingfisher sometimes is called kingfisher, not necessarily kookaburra. Mm-hmm. But, so there, yeah. Thank you. And let's see if I have the app downloaded mm-hmm. so we can... Hear the kookaburra sound, and I want the audience to know this is why it's important to have a spark bird, because then you have a friend for life. Yeah, that's the, le- that's the lesson of the day. Take yeah. that away, everybody. <laughs> so let's uh, let's get this. Uh, you know what? I'll play the. I don't think we'll get. Um, if we just play a, a minute of the of the the time song, I don't think we'll get copyright. Yeah. Well, I, I know a few YouTube channels that have resources about copyright material. And I think we'll be fine. Um, this entire time, I thought that w- those were monkeys. Wow. Now, let's uh, see if let's get the uh, the time and see if we'll do the. Um, so I guess I have to download it real quick. Yeah, it's funny. I used to own the time on vinyl, but now I'm um, now I don't because <laughs> I sold my, all my records. I used to have fifteen hundred records. Really? Yeah. Fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, it was insane. I had, yeah. So man, I don't even have like a comparison for how much that is. That's a record. I have friends that have entire, um, like multiple rooms of their houses that have mm-hmm. records. I had a, I had a friend that added. He bought four thousand records in one shot, and like, and like, wow. He, and he said he like affected social life because he wasn't able to uh, move around his house. I mean, I have a friend <laughs> who sold over a million records. <laughs> so, I assume they're of one record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, a Spotify friend of mine. Nice. I don't know okay, if I so- can give him a shout out. I think I should. But either way, um, that that's plenty of records. You you have a, I would say a pretty good encyclopedic knowledge of pop culture references, and well, how they relate certain... to birds. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say how they relate to birds. I think you have a strong point, or or wildlife or something, or you know, I think you have a strong point in that connection. Um, just like you told me about, like you went from the kookaburra to the jungle and friends, like. Crazy. Okay. So we got this. 
Now, let's see if you think this is what he's going with. Definitely a kookaburra, right? Yeah, and, and you know what else? Do you know what their other big hit is? Mm. The bird. Aha! And it's like, America, have you heard? Brand new dance. It's called the bird. Hey. Wah! Hallelujah! <laughs> oh, it's like, it's all, yeah. Oh, wow. Jeez. And the crazy I, thing is, is those songs, Jungle Love and, and the bird, like, Prince wrote those songs. Like Morris Day helped, but Prince wrote those songs. Mm-hmm. Like so, like I think the time was like Prince was like, uh, I need an outlet for my goofy side, so I'll just <laughs> do the time. Wow! And the time is famous for um, so Morris Day had a had like a valet, like um, that makes sense. It rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, like in the old sense of the, not 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 the guy that parks your car, the guy that helps you get dressed and like. Done up, you know, like like if you've watched um Dalton Abbey, yeah, like uh Mr. Bates is uh Lord Grantham's valet. And oh. so valet helps you get dressed it it basically just takes care of your appearance. Mm-hmm. So um <laughs> and Morris Day has a valet named Jerome, and like while he's playing, and it, they always do it in Jungle Love, he goes, Somebody bring me a mirror, and then and then he <laughs> and Jerome comes out with a mirror and Morris Day like fixes his hair and like does his eye, and then they do this like dance routine for like ten seconds afterwards. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell that the references we'll make will definitely jump between two demographics. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, like, what is it? Uh, Gen X African Americans <laughs> will probably get that reference. Older Gen X. Uh, <laughs> and we got young a- boomers. Maybe some young boomers out there are listening. We got Robin too. Who? Oh yeah. We got a. I got a whole bunch of these. Um, that yeah. I'm gonna put around, around the studio. Yeah. So, Robin has a, a lot of a. Mm-hmm. As he's a lot younger, so I mean, I'm 43 and you're 26. Yeah, I'm turning 26 to, Tuesday. Right. So, um, and Robin is I think 33. So we definitely oh, wow. have like. Yeah, yeah. Wow. We have like a nice little split, generationally. Billy also with life experiences too. Yeah. Uh Billy's a little bit older than me. Um hmm. No, no, Billy and I know so Bill, Bill and I are exactly the same age. I think we're months apart. Months apart. I yeah, forget I who's older. Apart. So I'm trying to think of anybody else who's a reg- who's going to be part of this network um regularly. Um 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 Philip? Who's that? Philip? Philip? He's new. Phil. Phil 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 is a uh, 37, I think. Okay. That's a prime number. In case yeah, I don't think like... anyone's older than me. I don't, think any... I don't think anyone's younger than you, either. Wow, so we're the range. Yeah. Nice. Wow, look at that. Uh, I know, uh, if I could... Ah, oh, man, I... So that would make you the pro-tempore of the Senate. And I forgot what my name would be. Well, if I Dan... Was or no, you're the dean of the Senate. <laughs> Dane is 50, and another one of the podcasts I want to do uh, is, like, a gear review. Mm. And so I have this idea um, for the gear reviews, right? 
Mike McKee, who is one of my fellow groomsmen, as Taiki was, is a works at Broad Street Ministry in Philadelphia, and they do a lot of direct service to the homeless. They provide mailboxes. There's a cafe, but it's a cafe they can hang out all night. So if it's too cold, they can you know go there. Um, they get clothes so they can try to get jobs. Uh, in fact, I have a huge donation. I'm, I'm dropping off. I mean, not huge, but I mean like a giant duffel bag of of good stuff, not just mm-hmm. old stuff. Like like nice Fred Perry and Ben Sherman dress shirts that didn't. My they're going out of business, and I bought them out, and they didn't. They don't fit my neck. I have a thick ass neck. So you know, like, there's stuff like, and also just stuff that I don't wear that often, you know, but the idea, so I'm going to give the, my idea is I would love if we, if companies sent us their gear, like shoes, you know, boots and clothing, and we tried it out. Mm-hmm. And then when we're done with it, we, we give it to Broad Street Ministry. Uh, I mean, that could totally, that could work. I mean, I would imagine that we could, you know, that a type of deal I've, uh, not personally seen, but I've, I've seen from a friend before is that, uh, you know, certain labels or certain, uh, marketers will send you stuff for you to keep and do whatever you want with it. But they'll, I mean, to do whatever you want to a certain stipulation, like they'll, excuse me, they'll expect you to post a picture or expect you to talk about it, expect you to, you know, give it some type of promotion. And then, you know, it's yours after that. Right. And like, you know, we, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll wear it for a few weeks or something and get, Mm -hmm. you know, and do that as well. But then we'll pass it on to someone who could really use it, you know? Yeah, because I'm not a clothes collector myself. I think I rotate between the same five to 13 different outfits. Yeah. Still make it look nice, you know. And Mike is, you know, I already talked about this idea. He's on board. So, I mean, it's more of the mm-hmm. whether or not companies will start sending us stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. figuring that out. I mean, um, that's something that, you know, uh, we're all putting our minds together on. Like, how do we promote ourselves? What's our social media presence? And and all that and that's really exciting. I mean, I think you and I probably have the best social media influence. Yeah, well, um actually that would be Phil. He's like 30 some thousand followers on 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 um on YouTube because he does a World of Warcraft um Oh, show. yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, yeah, well, I'm still getting to know Phil. So that's Phil's, really awesome. Phil's great and he's um he actually has a really I got to like calm myself down. I talk sometimes too fast and and um incomplete thoughts and he's got a really good voice for radio mm. and and he knows a lot about genetics and Ooh. and which is great because that's a huge part of science these days is genetics mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know my thing is he's a real scientist i'm not i'm an applied scientist we're like i oh. use science in the field and i participate mm. in it but i I'm not driven by questions, and a true scientist is driven by questions, right? And for so many people these days, the answers to those questions take them into a lab to do genetics, right? And me, I wanted science to be a vehicle to get me into the field. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to see a harpy eagle or a jaguar or a honey badger in a lab. Well, I mean, if your lab has that much money that they can create it. Maybe, but to me, it doesn't even matter. Like, cause I, I need to see them in the wild, mm-hmm. right? And science has got, I mean, I've seen polar bears and wolves and mm-hmm. 
Oh, and in South, you know, and a bit of South America for science. And, you know, I've seen uh, a lot of, you know, two cans and, you know, in, like three crazy. cans. Yeah. <laughs> so all kinds of cans. That to me is science is, and it keeps, and I work in, you know, environmental education. And mm-hmm. uh, I, so, and that is a field that keeps me outside a lot. So that's. <laughs> and you, I mean, you. Uh, I started in environmental ed, and now I'm, uh, I would say I'm in environmental advocacy, where maybe you could say that I'm in political science, maybe. I don't really understand political science. I'm not going to lie. When I was in college, I was studying math and computer science, real science, in my opinion. Maybe liberal arts has sciences. And I don't even know what liberal arts even means. I just think I thought it was just a term that they came up with with every anything that isn't business or math or engineering is liberal arts. I mean, that could be true. That could not be true. I am very open to the education on that top on that uh, topic. Yeah, I have strong mixed feelings on liberal arts. We're like, I get it. Uh, but my issue with liberal arts is I feel like there's lots of jobs that don't require a college degree that. Because HR departments, I guess, need things to discern people from. And if you can't, you know, how much can you get from looking at a resume? And if someone is going to work in like a clerical field or is going to work for a nonprofit organization in like a nondescript kind of job, you know, like it's not science heavy or technology heavy. They're like, oh, well, they have a liberal arts degree. And this one doesn't. So, like, I think, is that what it is that what it's for? You know, like, and so I feel like so many jobs now like require college degrees for no reason. Yeah, it's just know? like it just says bachelor's degree required. Not that you need to have any sort of specificity or technical skill or, or knowledge or any specialized knowledge within that bachelor's degree. They just want you to have a piece of paper, and you know, I think that that obviously has its outcomes inequitably and just proportionally reflecting uh, poor people and people of color not getting the degree or dropping out early or, um, you know, any other setbacks on top of not having that degree on a resume that can create a, you know, huge, huge uh, gap in wealth and income and achievement. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it could be the other thing too. Sometimes, so if you get a, someone can get those credentials, and then they get a leg up. So it's a way of looking at it as well. Like I have a big problem with um, these like fake certificates. Like, a pro, it's like because oh, cert- yeah. like, there's this thing like a certified Parks and Rec empl- employee. Like I'm like, okay, well you have a job in the park system. Why do you need to get certified? Or, like certified wildlife biologist. We're like, okay, well if you work in the field and you have a degree in it, I'm like. And there's like one of the master naturals program. And now the master gardener programs are very intensive. And I, and and from my my undergraduate in horticulture, known horticulture community, I think master gardener programs are pretty significant. But this master naturals program, it's a fraud. It's it's there's no standard curriculum. They get people mm-hmm. from the industry to to volunteer their time. And the idea is that the people have to have these these um, make up. They have they have to have these volunteer hours. Um, yeah. to maintain so the idea is it gets volunteers for organizations and i get that and there's some merit to that the problem is when you're coming up in this field people will say to you like oh why don't you do this master naturals program it'll be uh it'll better it'll it'll look good on you know and i'm like well, i'm not why am i going to spend 400 dollars and tie myself to volunteering 
when I've already done that and I already have a degree, I already work mm-hmm. in the field. Mm-hmm. I already, you know, like, so I th- I've been an instructor for it twice just to like, so I can <laughs> put that on my resume and, 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 and instructor, which trumps, you know, just ha- be, being a, you know, whatever. But it's like, just mm-hmm. it's predicated on the generosity of the people in the field who you are essentially creating competition for. Yes. <laughs> I, I very much see that logic. If someone said that, there needs to be some type of birding certificate to be a birder. Yeah. So now let's by see, any that... standard, you know, like creating that standard, like what does that even mean? Um, when, you know, that can be reflected in so many different ways that you making a standard for it is just going to exclude people or make people uninterested now because you're just like, this is something that I've been doing this whole time. Like it, because I don't live to your standards, that means I'm not, you know, good at what I do or I'm, or I haven't been doing what I've been doing. Like what's yeah. the point? Like my job, you literally couldn't even apply for my job unless you click a box that says you have an appropriate degree. You you can't even right, you cannot even apply for it. Right. And but yeah, I know so many people who would be perfect at my job that that don't have that degree. Mm. You know, because like wow. because yeah. th- think about the the, the if you didn't like, if you went to college at traditional age, well, look at Matt Halley. He chose sociology. Yeah. Oh, well, no, no, no. Even before sociology, he was a music right. uh, major doing guitar. And yeah. And it's just like, I think that's a beautiful story on and, how well rounded a person he is and how, you know, you find your passion in something and it can set your life apart. Um, you know, he won't do it. I want, I, I want him to do a podcast. Uh, I want to do. I want to do ornithology today with him. Oh, and he, won't, he won't do it. He'll because because he he's too critical of other people's papers. And oh. he doesn't want to like get a bad reputation in the field. What do you and, mean? <laughs> and I'm like, well, look, why don't we just pick papers that you like? And he's like, well, I always find something, and I don't want it to just be fluff. And I'm like, so maybe we could get him to do a history, ornithology history. Yeah, he has okay. this, some crazy ideas of like retracing like Wilson's and Audubon's and other steps mm-hmm. and whatnot. So like, but yeah, it's funny. It's like he won't. He and he's so charismatic, and he's you know. But yeah, yeah. but he went. So, but yeah, he had a sociology degree for an undergrad. So like, but he went back to grad school and I was about to get a PhD. Um, and, and you know what? He published his first scientific report without having a PhD, without having a bachelor's in science. Like he was traveling abroad and he like he just understood what the process was. He did do some research, obviously. And I'm not saying that he wasn't knowledgeable. It's just he didn't allow those credentials to decide that he could publish it. Right. You know, yeah. like that wasn't why, you know, he didn't need those things to do it. I, I, you know, that's not to say that obviously he's well studied and he was very interested. I think it was about frogs in India or something. Yeah. You know, what's really funny mm-hmm. <laughs> is I was I was uh, at Billy's old apartment. Mm-hmm. I was um, it was a really cool apartment as well. Apartments, you wouldn't even know you're in an apartment. Cause it's like like, nice. like other than the fact it's all one floor, like it was mm-hmm. big and it would be. Like, I don't know about like not paddling, but like it looked kind of like old, like like a big old study or something. You know what I mean? Like kind of like right. lots of wood and mm-hmm. it's it really cool. It had a garden on the roof for people. It's really cool spot. Uh, anyway, so I was in his apartment and I was on the can. And and what do you do? You grab a piece of uh, uh, you grab a, a, you know, something to read. And so I grabbed a, a, a journal he had next to his um you know, next to the toilet uh, for other people to do the exact same thing I was doing. And 
I flip through it. What do I see? Matt Halley's paper on the different color morphs of Indian frogs. He did, he found discovered in in the the Western Ghats. Wow! How, how how that was so funny. I was like, yo, check this out. Yeah. A classic. He needs to get that framed. I know it's funny, but yeah, now Billy. So Billy's house. Now he owns a house. Mm-hmm. Well, or I guess. Gigi owns it, and then he moved it, but now they're married, so I don't know how that works. Anyway, so Gigi's what, Billy's mine is house. yours. Yeah. You, you, you're married. You know how this works. Yeah, <laughs> well, we, 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 we bought a house after we were married, so oh, yeah. So they were, they were, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, anyway, the, the the Billy Gigi's house or Gigi's house, they they now have um this like Japanese like toilet seat that like has like a built-in bidet and like heat heated and everything but it's like it's like actually like it like puts i'm it like puts me like too far and it's really uncomfortable i actually go up a floor oh <laughs> it's like easy yeah tony with the big old butt i do the donk <laughs> which is like what you notice one of the variations is billy did it one of the variations on our um one of the social media accounts is actually tony's but donk yeah 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 uh, but you know, good luck anybody who really wants to get to our social media mm-hmm, account mm-hmm. to. Well, out I mean, I mean, some what letters just... to replace with numbers and whatnot to get that. But yeah, some people just might want Tony's badonk, and I totally understand. Uh, but you have to understand as well that it's already taken. It's already spoken for. It's true. It's pre-ordered. It's 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 shipped, signed, sealed, and delivered, <laughs> all at the same time. Yeah. You know, speaking of the Mrs. Uh, Angie, says mm-hmm. hello. Hello, Angie. Is she glowing as always? Uh, she is. She's just she's resting up. She just got back from a trip to Hudson Valley, visiting some friends up there. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, you know, I'm going to be going to the Hamptons uh, for President's Day weekend. Want to talk to Hampton? Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Oh man, I'm 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 like nervous and excited about it, um, but. I think I'm gonna have a good time, you know. Yeah, is this for work or? No, no, no. This is uh, with my girlfriend. Ooh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I gotta come visit you down in D.C. Please do. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a dodo in the White House that that's been showing up on Ebert lately. Um, that's my thank you. It's my go-to joke. <laughs> it's my go-to D.C. joke. And actually, you know, I do some bird, I do regular bird walks uh, on the Capitol. Um, uh, yeah, 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 on the on the, on Capitol Hill uh, with and um, you know I get some good birds. I and I get some good stories too because it's it's always a great time. Yeah, DC is an interesting city. It has it has um, a large park as well. Uh, Rock Creek Park is pretty big, mm-hmm. and so you know. And it's neat because it's like goes like right through downtown, more or less. Or like I don't know about downtown, but I remember I remember I uh, went there for a work training, um, and mm-hmm. I like walked down the strip. And like next thing, it, you know, I was at this cafe or whatever, and I started walking, and I we, like crossed over the park, and I was like, oh, wow, that's that's cool. So that's yeah. And and by the strip, you don't mean the National Mall, right? You went oh call yeah, the National Mall. I meant like strip. I call like I call a strip like I call a strip whatever. Um, Anything that has a bunch of, you know, or like in Philly, the Avenue, or whatever, like yeah, yeah. anything. Like a corridor. Yeah, what is? But I call strip specifically something where there's like bars. Oh, okay. If there's okay. bars. You know what I mean? Like I yeah, I mean. cafes and bars. I call that the strip. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Just making sure you weren't calling the national. Yeah, I was walking around the strip. There was museums and stuff. I, you know, I was looking for coffee. Oh man. Um, but yeah, I do have some new adventures out here in DC. I play in a um, flag football league now, and we had Sunday. We had practice last Sunday, and immediately everyone identifies me as the bird guide because while you know we're practicing and running drills, I'd be like three mallards. Two mil. And they'll be like, what? And I won't repeat what I said. I just like stop whatever I'm doing and just like observe the bird. <laughs> and they they're starting to get into it. I can tell that they're starting to dig it. Nice. That they're just like, he's the bird guy. Um and then we got to see one red tail hawk kind of fly over where we were. And we practice on the National Mall. So like the monuments right there, the White House, unfortunately, is occupied with uh, people whose opinion I find ill-informed. Um, but it's just nice feeling like you are somewhere where things happen, especially for folks that are, you know, from I, like me who've moved around a whole lot. And I've always found something, found something to appreciate where I'm about where I'm at. And, uh, most of the time I'm appreciating it because I feel present in it and birding, on the mall in DC. It's just one yeah. of those moments. Yeah. DC is cool. I mean, I wish it wasn't like, it's one of those places where I love Philly. I expect to live in Philly my whole life. But if there was ever a city, the city most easy for Angie and I to relocate to would probably be DC. That's right? reasonable. Yeah. That's yeah. very reasonable. I mean, like the financially it would be horrible because it's what the, one of the most expensive cities and we're from yeah. one of the most affordable large cities. <laughs> like, yes, that is true. Yeah. Um, also, uh, in DC, everyone on the escalator stands on the right, walks on the left. Mm-hmm. That level of civility and organization is just, you know, it's it's almost a work of art. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as much yeah. as I love Philly, because I'm from Philly as well, um, you know, I don't think Philly could ever do that. Unfortunately, I just I don't I don't see it. Yeah, because you know I work in government now, and I assume as a chance, I mean, it's municipal government. I assume there's a chance I could work in a, you know, a parks department or something down in uh, TC or, mm-hmm. um, or even, you know, there's also state, well, not state. There's, I guess it's only municipal because it's, it's, it's own district, right? It's own district. So there's no, um, and it's one of the same. So I couldn't work for the state. I couldn't work for, I could only work for DC or I could work for federal government. Um, yeah. Natural park services oh, everywhere. Yeah, and Fish and Wildlife Services offices there too, oh, yeah, but they—I yeah. uh, I don't know how much they're hiring these days. But there's it's also headquarters of every nonprofit, and mm-hmm. and I think this is a good chance. But yeah. Angie yeah. works in transportation, so mm-hmm. you know, obviously for her, DC is is a lot of to where she could work down in DC. Yeah. I mean, and if not DC, Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, but it's almost. Uh... I know that they want to do more. They want to. I've been hearing talks about a, a about a, a, some type of project that would connect via one train stop DC to Baltimore. Mm. That'd be that'd be lovely. Uh, that would that would be quite a thing. So I know that there's a lot of potential energy in transportation infrastructure for Baltimore, um, and. Uh, um, oh, something about uh, I was going to mention the botanical gardens. Uh, I love them. I've been there. It's great. That's actually where I do most of my birding in D.C. by the botanical gardens and uh, this park right by one of the congressional offices. 
uh, Rayburn house. It's a, a house office, but it's right. It's Bethaldi Park, and there I have consistently, I mean, during the right part of the season, I have consistently gotten Cardinals, Goldfinches, Mockingbirds, Blue Jays, uh, Wren, and um, a Song Sparrow. And those are like the, I think, really great beginner birds. Because often when I'm doing that bird walk, I'm with first-time birders. And it's just like a really great way for them to see so many different sizes, so many different colors, so many different behaviors even. Yeah. um, Like all together in just one spot that's right by their office. You know, it's just like, oh, this is very convenient. Like this is, you know, um, that's that's the pleasure of birding, you know. Absolutely. Uh, We're close to – we're just – about 10 yeah. minutes away from an hour i think we should yeah, keep wow. this for an hour yeah, um yeah. but the it's funny for us is we're also just catching up too yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the that's... uh so we we kind of got to the point where we got our spark birds we got through meeting at your high school mm-hmm. and then you eventually got into well you came to work for me yeah 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 so like i was a part of the program and then you a... worked for me again yeah, exactly. And then I got uh, be, like, you know, everyone moved out. It was expected to move out of the program. When you age out, you go to college. I stayed in Philly to go to college and I got promoted to work on the to to on the assistant manager level with Tony and Dan, uh, where I would help recruit the same students and, you know, help with the program. And then, uh, you know, we moved on from that project because I think the contract uh, wasn't given to us or however that works. No, no, this, I had to I had to dissolve it when I got. Um, when I got Chosen. hired, yeah, yeah, when you ascended, because I can't. Um, when I got, I was contracting to the to just, I was contracting to a municipal agency, and then I got hired by a different municipal agency. Yeah, that's right. And that's so right. I'm not allowed to hold a contract as a con uh, with and get a salary. So I had yeah. to dissolve it, and then um a year but a year later um. Or less than a year later, we were looking for some seasonal summer help, and you came and worked for us for a summer. Yeah, yep. And that was that wonderful. was such a great summer, man. That was that was ridiculously fun. I think that it really tops my experience as an educator. Um, you know, doing it in Philly, doing it in Wissahickon, um, and and then doing it with you, obviously, it made it all made it all the world. And, um, and then you worked for the Alliance for Watershed Education too, right? Yeah, that is that is correct. So I I then continued to be an environmental educator, but I was more community organizer based as well because there was a big project happening in North Philly. You may have heard of it. It's called the Discovery Center. Um, I, you know, if anyone's ever passing through Philly and they're looking for like, oh, you know, where where are some green spots? Where are some great parks? Where, you know, where are some environmental assets besides the Rocky Steps and a cheesesteak? Don't go to Pat's and Gino's. I have to throw that in, by the way. But I just want to recommend the Discovery Center, which is in uh, Fairmount Park, uh, Fairmount Park East, East Fairmount Park, if you will. Um, that is uh, it's about it's now a year old, it's a year and a couple months old now. And, um, you know, that I think that's the new home for environmental education in North Philadelphia. And, you know, if you stop by, the reservoir is open. You can see a lot of great birds. Um, I'm not there enough to know what all the rare birds have been. But especially there is canvasbacks in the in the winter. OK, the, it's like the best spot to see canvasbacks in the city. 
Yeah. So, you know, I have to just throw that out there as a great destination for those who are interested. But um, since then, well, I, you know, working with uh, the Alliance for Watershed Education, I then got hired to work in D.C. at this well, big environmental. But not to cut you off, but to mm-hmm. get get more out of you, because sometimes when you're talking about yourself, oh, yeah, you, you leave details out. out. Oh, yeah. And I want to I want to make. You got hired for your job in DC because you have political experience. Oh yeah, and you and that we skipped that. So why don't you bring mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. bring us back to your political experience? So uh, the political experience, in some ways, started. I don't know if it's fully relevant, but in some ways, it started when I was at Temple University and I worked on Temple student government campaigns, and I was successful in those campaigns. And, but I think what with what one of the big early highlights were, I got to work for a local state representative as an environmental policy advisor based on my experience as an environmental educator that I had with Tony. And I did that for about two and a half years. And then I started working on a can on an electoral campaign for another friend of mine that was running for state rep in a different district. And that, you know, by doing that, I was very heavily involved with the uh, political environmental scene in Philly, especially for, especially in the lens of environmental justice and not just sustainability. Lovely. And then, so your experience working for um, two different state. I mean, one, yeah, one was a state representative like district office. So one, I was on the administration side. But the other one was strictly electoral. And and at that time, he was only a candidate. He wasn't running for re-election or anything. This was his, the freshman. He's doing a great job, by the way. Love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And... It has been quite a journey, hasn't it? I mean, um, just I think my environmental leadership even has been shaped by what our experiences have been through the ebb and flows of being in the field yes indeed absolutely so i think we're at a good spot for this one yeah Um, yeah because i I want to cover uh more connections between your history as a punk rocker and birds and i think a magazine wrote about you a certain magazine wrote oh yes we might bring that up again well i mean i guess we could just talk about that briefly because i guess we kind of leave a cliffhanger well so no since we're talking about intros and we shouldn't focused on intros and who we are the next episode so yeah back to me i was in a what i was in or slash am in a uh, punk rock band uh it's a band you know we had an active period of about eight years from 1999 till two terms 2007 uh we've been on hiatus ever since but my voice is hoarse right now a little bit and that's not a coincidence so i don't know what's going to come of that um but we've been just making some music again as friends and you know, we don't plan, have any plans to play live, but we might record some of this. Is, but the band didn't break up because we weren't friends. We broke up because we wanted to uh, focus on other things. Uh, that band was called Rambo. It was a punk band. Put two albums out, a couple singles, toured 35 countries and five or six continents. Depends on how you count them. Yeah. And that, we didn't go to South America. We did Australia, Europe, Asia, North America. So I guess four continents, right? Four continents. Oh, wow, and, you uh, left out Africa? That's cool. Yeah, I'd love to go to Africa. But here's <laughs> the, with the band is we were invited to go south 
America, and we declined because we wanted to go back to Southeast Asia. Who because you know we went there, had a great time, want to see those people again, and go to a few more countries. And then I have I know a group or two have gone to Africa, but generally when you go to Africa, they they're they're going and people didn't know them there. They just found people who did shows in certain countries and went there. And so my thing is, I never wanted to go somewhere I wasn't invited. Mm. So in Southeast Asia, in in East Asia, when people invited us, people they asked us to release our records locally, Mm. and like in Singapore, our record was released in you know in Australia. Poland, Germany, obviously the U.S., Sweden, and as well as like um, Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia, and Malaysia. So uh, we 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 wanted to go places where we people knew us, right? We wanted to just we didn't want to just go and be a spectacle. We wanted to go where people um, were fans. So yeah, yeah, of course. And had Africa reached out to us and said, "Please come play," you know, Botswana, or whatever, we would have absolutely done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that hadn't happened. So, but yes, I've since been to Africa, and I would yes, like to yes, go you again. Have. Yes, you have. Um, but in that in that traveling that you've done, you have been birding every single place. You did yeah. not forget your binoculars or your band. No, no. <laughs> but, yeah, so. Yeah, so I was in that. I would love to. I love how you've you know been able to like through the years of us knowing each other share little snippets of stories of like things that have happened while you were traveling and some of the crazy things and some of that obviously I think will overlap with um, some other stories that you'll have with with other guests. But you know anything you want to add to that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just finished with the intro thing, so I don't know little background Mm -hmm. besides that. I did field research in the Canadian Arctic. With snow geese and then Alaska with ducks. Um, did a semester in Brazil as an adult. Well, I mean, you're an adult <laughs> when you're 18, but as a like, it's funny they call you adult students, but like, you know, you're an adult when you're 18. But I went back in my 30s and then a semester in Brazil. So the uh, field work there as part of that um, for my internship. And there I had to give a, that university, the internship asked me to do a lecture in, in the, about Arctic and about Arctic field work because I just got back from Alaska and I did that. In Portuguese, which is crazy because I barely spoke Portuguese or didn't. I mean, I could just baby talk, so that was really, really ridiculous. So then, then I went back to school because um, I had taken off like fourteen years to travel and do other things, and, uh, and so I went back to school. And then, which, then I got a job working at an environmental center and for a nonprofit. And then I got for as a contractor, and then eventually hired by municipal government. So that's how how things have worked for me, and. Also adjunct at Temple University, where I went to school in Taiki. Went to you? Yeah, and I love Temple. So do I. I love Temple, and I will give you my full opinions. Yeah. (laughs) That's how much I love it. I love it so much, I won't lie about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great. I mean, you know, I didn't like the, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the environmental studies program, but I don't don't think it has to say to do with Temple. Yeah. um, yeah, it right. was just like environmental studies wasn't right for me. But then I went to horticulture, and it was right for me. So you found you found your fit real well. Yeah, because right. and you then know, you went back to school. It went to graduate school, yes, mm-hmm. uh, for biology at St. Joseph's or a different bird school. Get that right. Yeah, so, so Temple I, is the owls. Saint, go ahead. St. Joseph's the hawks. So, so I, I like to joke that I'm a hawk owl. Lucky son of a gun, Northern Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for that clarification. We, you know, we always 
uh, go for the scientific, scientific and common names are acceptable here. But the only common name that is unacceptable at all times is seagull. There's no such thing as a seagull. I never bring that to my life. And it makes me cringe every time I hear it. That's funny. I'm surprised you're that snobby, Taiki. I I am all for calling them seagulls because I don't understand. Like if when you say seagull, people know what you're talking about. And I understand there's not one particular species called seagull. But if you call the whole group of birds seagulls, you know, it's it's the same thing. The where my snobbishness comes from is I used to be, and I know it, it was unfortunately so, a big fan of Steven Seagal, Seagull. <laughs> and so anytime I hear the name, it just makes me think of that part of my life that I'd rather leave. It's a chapter of my life that I'd rather not read out loud. Well, I hear you. <laughs> Are you familiar with the comedian Tom Segura? Um... No, no. Not and you know the, do you know the comedian Burt Kreischer? No. He's famous for the, the machine um, story when he went to Russia um, and hung out with the Russian mob when he was in, in college. And he did – so he's – and he always – Burt Kreischer always performs with no shirt on. He's a big guy. So him and uh, Tom Segura are like best friends. And Burt Kreischer did a dance video of just him dancing to um, – what's his name? Um tattoos on his face, post Malone. And uh <laughs> and and so Tom Segura did this like actually hire like a choreographer and dancers and and did this like uh rebuttal uh mm. to his dance video but he did it dressed as Steven Seagal. But like you ever see this Steven Seagal has the carrot is he he goes to Belarus and I guess the president of Belarus is like showing him like their produce so it's like oh, yeah. Seagal with a carrot so it is you know he's wearing like the it looks like he's wearing like it's kind of like the philly outfit it looks like he's wearing like a dickie's shirt and dickie's you know dickie's shirt and pants like the philly tuxedo you know <laughs> and uh but it's all black and then mm. he has like a ponytail and like these orange glasses and like this like amulet and like a carrot <laughs> so you got to see it it's ridiculous uh, i'll be sure to look that up well um yeah yeah so I you know I I I half play when I do my holes uh, seagull shtick, but it is it's just a really fun way to get uh, new birders or people that are new to birder culture interested in it because you know then they're just like oh I thought I'm like no it's it's a divisive issue in the birder community <laughs> you know like families we're, have been torn apart. We're gonna leave. We're gonna end on a cliffhanger. Okay. Because this reminds me of. The bird police. Oh, okay. I don't know if we want to. I don't know if we want to bring Mr. Ward in as a guest. <laughs> the bird police story. Um, I don't know I if you can. I, I, I can. I, I, I would love to ask. Yeah. Um, I also want to do. You know, interview him for the Irvin Wilder podcast too. I don't know if we can do like two in a row with him or whatever. But like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, can you do three? Can you record a three? Um, can uh, we do a? A three-way on, on your video? Is that possible? I mean, that's the golden rule. Let's let's figure that out. Yeah. So let's see. So we'll we'll talk. Yeah. Maybe the next thing. Well, one of the things we'll talk about next is the is um is the bird police incident and story and and whatever, and then and like the entrapment that this person did, and then. 
we'll put it in comments or notes, but we should come up with an email address that maybe you will monitor. Um, so people can contact us and, and send us uh, questions and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was going to say, I would love a place to centralize this to not make it my personal social media or your personal one. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll figure that out. There's going to be one for the network, but if you mm-hmm. want to have a personal one, for just, if you want to have a sub one just for this particular cast, mm-hmm. we can do that for, for moving forward. Okay. All right. So, well, uh, also, we need a logo. We got to talk to Robin. Yeah, well, he's working on it. We actually do have a little. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, then, never mind. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's well, the thing that's let's that's uh, give salutations. Salutations are greetings. Huh? What's the opposite of salutations? Farewells. Farewells, yes. <laughs> I was just thinking of the fancier way to say it. Yeah. Um. You know, stay. Bid uh, you adieu? Yeah. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, yeah. Look for Wildlife Observer Network. Because we're looking for you. Yeah, and if you have suggestions for us to discuss uh, for the next one, we will discuss the bird sheriff, mm-hmm. the bird police, and then that we... is a great topic. That is a yeah. great topic. I guarantee you. Cool. That's a, yeah. That's exactly right up our alley too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Alrighty. Tony, thank you so much for your time. I love you, brother. I love you, buddy. Cheers. I right, talk to you soon. Cheers. Have a good one.